Hello and welcome to Reading the Room, a psychic exploration. My name is Adam. I will be your host, uh, but I don't do it alone, guys. I have two wonderful people here with me. Let me first introduce Pam. Hello, Pam. Hello, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm terrific. How are you today? I am also terrific. It's a terrific day. And we're joined as always by Kate. Hello, Kate. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Oh, you're not terrific? Oh, dang. I'm great. Oh, terrific. I'm terrific and perfect. Great. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Perfect. That's that's hard to live up to. Well, set the bar high. (laughs) (laughs) It actually thunderstormed today in hail, so I don't know if it was a perfect day, but it was interesting, that's for sure. Oh, hey, oh, you got the hail, huh? Mm-hmm. Hail and dog doesn't like it, so she was shaking a little bit today. I, I guess maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's just good. <laughs> Less perfect with with a, with the hail. Well, we got a hail of a question coming in. We've got a listener submitted question for you guys. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Yes. Valerie asks. Have you ever been surprised by something that you found in a reading? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I felt like our last reading about Harold Holt was pretty surprising. That was very surprising. Yeah. That was, that was yeah. our last. But anyway, um, yeah, I have I have readings that surprise me all the time. Come up with some very specific information, and that's so validating when when not only you come up with it, but then you get it validated, like you're so spot on. So yeah, we've been surprised, both of us. We're going to play a little game. You you ready? Okay. Without thinking about it, you just have to answer really fast, okay? Okay. Favorite killer? Favorite killer? I don't have a favorite killer. Okay. Oh. Favorite, favorite cryptid? Oh, the Kraken. Kraken, good choice. Aliens, real or fake? Real. Real. Art Bell, uh, anybody, any of it real? Some of it real. Some, Some real. real. Okay. <laughs> All right, I think we got your brain back on track, Kate. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know anything. Our slate today, guys. Favorite killer is kind of hard to say. I loved it when so and so murdered so and so. My favorite killer. I think, I guess I think I... your answer is right. Uh, no answer. <laughs> no favorite killer, but there are certain cases that I'm still thinking about all the time. And one of them, the, the, like the. I would say my favorite murder case, but the one that intrigues me the most to this day still is the Heyman Lee case. If you've listened to Serial about Adnan and stuff like that, that's the one case that I'm I'm still thinking about. I, I always think about it. I was thinking about it today, and we'll have to do that one on the show sometime. But not not my favorite murderer, but my favorite case. So certainly interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I like the cases that. It's hard to tell what is really going on there. Like the Darley Rotier case, we haven't ever done that one, but I'd like to because I don't know. I don't know if she's guilty or if she's not guilty. Some cases are really obvious, and then there's others that leave you unsure. They uh, rack your minds. They rack your mind. They give you a headache. 
And speaking of headaches, uh, today's episode is about the Tylenol murders. Ooh, good segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Were you guys very familiar with this before we decided to do the episode? I actually listened to a podcast about it a few years ago, so I was oh, cool. okay. I was familiar about it. We were going on a road trip and my husband turned it on and there was a podcast about it. So, yeah. Vaguely familiar. On September 29th, 1982, uh, Mary Keller met a 12-year-old girl. She passed away after consuming Tylenol. They did not know that at the time. Adam Janice, 27. He took some, some Tylenol. He was. Uh, he told his wife he's going to go take a nap, so he took some Tylenol, went and laid down. She found him convulsing, so he was rushed to the hospital and passed. Later that day, his family went back to his home. His brother, uh, Stanley, and his sister-in-law, Teresa, they both were uh, experiencing a lot of stress and pain from that stress, so they took the same Tylenol horribly. And perished. It took them a day or two to to pass away. That's so horrible. I I was looking at that and thinking like, wow, like your husband dies and then two other family members die all in one day. Yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, losing like the mother losing two of your children. Yeah. So, um, the doctor who helped with Adam, they talked to him later, and. After he had passed a few hours later, they brought in family members. And they said his family is back. And he assumed that it was his mom having some, like, like a heart attack because of stress of losing a child. Something mm-hmm. like that. And then to lose two kids like that and, a, and your daughter-in-law. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, within the next few days, Mary McFarland, 31, of Elmhurst, Paula Prince, and Mary Reiner all passed away. And they died of acute cyanide poisoning, which is nasty, nasty visit. We've talked about this a little bit. It is what the Nazis used at the concentration camps as part of Zyklon B. Yeah, cyanide is. It's a really nasty poison. It's really awful. It increases. I was trying to, I was reading about it, but I didn't really understand it. It it increases something in your red blood that, that kills you. That's what it does. It sounds painful. Yeah, I've heard it's really painful. Yeah, it's supposed to be like you get like a headache and a fever, but just on a on an in, insane level, and it just keeps getting worse. I wonder if it's fast. And I'm saying that because of the cyanide tablets that military carried with them. I feel like I feel like the Nazis carried with them in case they were caught cyanide capsules. Is it? Is that real or is that just a TV thing? I don't know. <laughs> Let me look it up. <laughs> We're stumping ourselves. Well, let me just dis- let's discuss a few things while Pam looks that up. They figured out it was cyanide in the Tylenol. This is, you know, when I think of Tylenol, I think of one solid pill. But this is when it was mm-hmm. like the two capsules put put together. Yeah, yeah, and it's easy to pull them apart. Yeah. Do they not make those anymore? Or so I think I I think it's been a little while since I've seen one. Tylenol, I believe, doesn't do one. Um, I wouldn't have it. Is get it? 
Pam, what you got for us? I got that. It looks like they are real, but they were also played up a lot in the movies. Oh, so okay. it does look like they did use them, but they didn't die fast like they did on TV. The cyanide pills were created by Brit- the British, this, the American Secret Service during World War II. So it was a combination <laughs> and they were only pea-sized. Okay. Can you imagine choosing to do that? Like, no. Yeah. I would be like, no. Take my risk getting caught. Why? See what happens. What you're shooting? You're threatening to shoot me? Hmm. Which is going to be more painful? I think you could shoot me. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot me in the back of the head or something? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a terrible choice to have to make mm-hmm. sounds terrible now we talked a little bit about the victims all the information that i had about the victims were basically similar to what you had kind of described so it, it, i just really kind of focused on mary kellerman who was 12 years old and she was the first victim and she was really young so that's really terrible and then i had kind of focused more on the family element like just thinking about adam and then his brother stanley and his sister-in-law Teresa. and then there was mary mcfarland paula prince and mary rayner and so like all these people were located in the chicago area in different suburbs in the metropolitan area So once the police realized that all these people had recently taken Tylenol, tests were quickly carried out, which revealed the cyanide that you had talked about. And then warnings were issued via the media and patrols and loudspeakers. So like the police were driving down the street in Chicago yelling, throw out your Tylenol, throw out your Tylenol, once they realized that this was what was happening. And then they discontinued the use of Tylenol products. And I think that they they did a recall, which was the largest recall mm-hmm. ever at that point in time. Called cost Johnson Johnson $100 million to recall everything. But it was the what? right thing to do. Because not all companies do that. You know, like these days, there's plenty of documentaries about products that kill people. And they're like, eh, can we get away with it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so good the on The CEO them. of Johnson Johnson at that point said... Um, I was, I was watching an interview with him and he said, it's not what happens, it's how you respond to it. And so mm-hmm. they, they thought it was important to um, do the recall. They stopped advertising for a set amount of time. I think mm-hmm. it was like up, up, up to a year, I believe. Yeah, so they did, they did handle it really well. They, they did an investigation and they found that the tainted capsules were found and manufactured at two different locations. So they were found to be manufactured in Pennsylvania and Texas, which suggested to the investigators that they were tampered with after they had been placed on the shelf for sale. So that's kind of where the investigation led the police. And their hypothesis was that somebody had taken the bottles off the shelf in local stores in Chicago and placed the cyanide in some of the capsules, the ones that you're talking about, the ones that break open, and then they put them back together and they put them back on the shelves to be purchased by unknowing customers. 
So they so the police found the five bottles that led to the victim's death, but a few other contaminated bottles were later discovered in the Chicago area. So it was really good that they were really responsive because there could have been more people killed if they hadn't halted everything, drove down the street, throw out your Tylenol, and like who mm. knows how much how many others were contaminated because people just threw them in the trash at home. So I guess in retrospect, it may have been better for them to say, give us your Tylenol so we can test it to see how far this is going. So that's like one element of the case that's just completely unknown because everyone threw it in the trash at that point. I wonder if there were uh, other victims that aren't named that took the Tylenol and it just never was put together because they were maybe teetering on bad health anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, the symptoms of cyanide um, do look like a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Like, so if so, you don't think to check their liver enzymes or whatever it is, their liver yeah. blood. And why would you if this was like nearly the first one? You know, and, and as far as like taking them off of the shelf, they must have taken them home. Because otherwise, what are you going to do? A little craft project right there in the aisle? Like, okay, I've got my X-Acto knife. I'm opening the Tylenol. I'm putting in the cyanide. Nobody look at what I'm doing. So I feel like they must have swiped them and took them home. That or um, possibly they just bought a bottle of Tylenol. Yeah, put it it together. And then they was able to swap out in the store. But yeah, that happened too. Johnson & Johnson, the manufacturer of Tylenol, which we already spoke about, distributed warnings to hospitals and any distributors and halted the Tylenol production and advertising. So there are a few suspects in this case, and the biggest one is James William Lewis. This guy's shady, and there's a lot more to him than I'm going to talk about. Um, but he's a pretty shady character and, and there, I was watching a documentary about just him and his life and he's done things like had a fake identity and stuff and, and moved around a lot in his life. But he's a, he was a New York city resident at the time and he was convicted of extortion for sending a letter to the Tylenol manufacturer, Johnson and Johnson that took responsibility for the deaths and demanded $1 million to stop them. But evidence tying him to the actual poisoning never emerged. What he did was he sent a letter asking for $1 million and he asked the the company to distribute the money into his wife's boss's bank account. So when they went back to look backwards, they found his wife's boss. So he said that he did that because he wanted revenge on the boss for an unpaid paycheck for like 500 bucks. Yeah, so that's that's what he says his motivation was, but he said that he didn't do it. So there was a trial about this, and during the trial, his attorneys claimed that he intended only to focus the attention on his wife's employer, and court documents released in early 2009 show that the Department of Justice investigators concluded that Lewis was responsible for the poisonings, even though they did not have enough evidence to charge him. And then in 2010, both Lewis and his wife submitted DNA samples and fingerprints to the authorities. And Lewis is quoted as saying, if the FBI plays it fair, I have nothing to worry about. Lewis continues to deny all responsibility for the poisonings. This guy is shady. 
Kim and his wife had changed identities and had lived in the Chicago area before they were in New York City. And then before that, they were somewhere else. And they had a close friend who ended up dead when they went to this close friend's house. There was a letter on his door, and it was on the letterhead from Lewis's house. So this guy's real shady, and that's why they think that he probably did it. And he's also the type of person that likes to go around hurting people just just for kicks. I don't like this guy, and I really feel like it, it, it could be him. I know there's criminals, but there's also people who've never broken the law, but they're still shady. And I'd love to see some, there's those uh, criminal mugshot books you can look through. I'd also like to be able to see like some books that are just like, and other shady characters and just people with shifty eyes, changed, (laughs) changed names, moved from city to city. Don't know why. Shady (laughs) character. (laughs) He's shady. Well, the changing of names has to do with the fact that the friend ended up dead and they were looking at them like uh you guys probably did this and they're like we're out of here we don't know what you're talking about (laughs) (sighs) okay so there was another suspect named roger arnold and he was identified investigated and cleared of the killings but he had a nervous breakdown due to the media attention, which he blamed on Marty Sinclair, a bar owner. And I think that he blamed Marty because Marty might have pointed him out and been like, hey, it's him. So he was really upset about that. In the summer of 1983, Arnold shot and killed John Stanisha, a computer consultant and father of three, who was leaving the bar with multiple friends who mistook for Sinclair. So R- Roger Arnold was convicted of killing of the killing in January 1984 and served 15 years of his 30-year sentence for second-degree murder, saying in 1996 from prison, I killed a man, a perfectly innocent person. I had choices. I could have walked away. And Roger Arnold died in June of 2008. So... That's pretty awful. Just another person who was killed as a result of the Tylenol killings. Yeah, there was a lot of strange fallout from this. One suspect that I'd never heard, I just heard today, is uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Oh, Mm -hmm. I was going to mention him. Oh, He's from the area. Yeah. I'm off my list, so I'm glad you mentioned him. Oh, no, it says here, on May 19th, 2011, the FBI requested samples of the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski in connection with the Tylenol murders. He denied having ever possessed potassium cyanide, and the first Unabomber crimes happened in Chicago, and it suburbs from 1978 to 1980. The Unabomber's family had a house in the suburbs of Chicago. That's not funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> they had to live somewhere. They had to live somewhere. Yeah. Yes. And that is why they thought that he was part of this case. Ted Kaczynski's would kind of would fit the bill a lot because he's a mass murderer. And whoever did the Tylenol uh, murders is a mass murderer. And is somebody who... who sets things up and then just sits back and watches things fall you know and people die 
He's very uh, hands off both of these these types of crimes. For yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know though. Like, does he like the violence of bombs? The guy got real into bombs. Real obsessed with bombs. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's his mo. Usually, like, if I mean, I'm not an expert on killers, but I've watched enough forensic files and all of the murder things that usually people follow the same pattern. So it doesn't really seem like poison is his his method of choice there. But do you think you know more about killing than boats? A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite boat? Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, Adam, it is, um, uh, robot. Okay. <laughs> uh, right. so killer knowledge, probably pretty similar. <laughs> no, I know more about killers than boats. <laughs> oh, there's another suspect here. Lori Dan, who poisoned and shot several people in May of 1988 Rampage in and around Winnicott, Illinois, was briefly considered as a suspect, but no direct connection was found. So Lori liked to kill people with poison, but seemed to be connected to this situation, according to the police. Statistically, they say that women will kill people with, with poison more than any other kind of weapon. I've heard that. So, um, more about the investigation. In early 1983, at the FBI's request, Chicago Tribune columnist Bob Green published an address and a grave location for the first youngest victim, Mary Kellerman. The story, written with Kellerman's family with consent, was proposed by the FBI criminal analyst John Douglas on the theory that the perpetrator might visit the house or gravesite if he were made aware of their locations. Both sites were kept under 24-hour surveillance for several months, but the killer did not surface. Did you hear the second part of this interesting story? A guy came forward, though, and they heard a guy come forward at the cemetery saying, I'm sorry, Jane. I'm really sorry. And he was saying that at at a gravestone nearby because it was a hit and run. So they did catch somebody from, from doing this observational they caught somebody um, from another crime score. yeah they caught wow. a guy who did a hit and run who had a lot of guilt and can, would periodically visit the cemetery to apologize all right guys all right guys listen to me listen if you ever kill somebody don't ever go to the grave don't ever don't, don't do it don't do it don't do it that's how they're gonna catch you gonna catch you gonna catch you you never know what's gonna happen that happens a lot. That's how a lot of killers get caught because they end up hanging around. Like, uh, sometimes they're like the like if uh, they need help for like searching. They're like the person who's like, "Hey, I'm here to help. I'm the number one helper." And they're like, "Oh, he didn't really know him that well, but it's really nice that he showed up." And then you're like, "Hmm." So that's the one you're going to look at. You're suspicious. Let's see here. A surveillance photo of Paula Prince. Purchasing cyanide tampered Tylenol at Walgreens at 1601 North Well Street was released by the Chicago Police Department because it was believed that a bearded man seen just feet behind Prince may be the killer. But there was no follow through on this. Uh, It doesn't sound like they were able to catch this. In early January 2009, 
Illinois authorities renewed the investigation. Federal agents searched the Lewis home in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So they moved again. Remember the Lewis people who just like move around all the time? They moved again. Mm -hmm. So they searched their house in Massachusetts and seized several items. In Chicago, an FBI spokesperson declined to comment but said, we have something to release later, possibly. Law enforcement officials have received several tips related to the case coinciding with its anniversary in a written statement, the FBI explained. The review, so the reason that they they began reviewing the case again was because it was it was close to the 25th anniversary of the crime, and that always drums up publicity, so... Given the recent advances in forensic technology, they wanted to take a second look at the case. But to date, no suspect has been charged or convicted of the poisonings. Hmm. Interesting. I want to just go over like the theories really quickly and pop in if you have anything to say about these. One of the possible theories was revenge against Johnson & Johnson. Revenge against Johnson Johnson? Yeah, maybe from a for, former employee or a a different company that'll teach you Johnson and Johnson, or for Having financial here killing people. Yeah, or for financial gain, you know, because of stocks and stuff. Um, oh, I'd heard that that they thought maybe somebody's trying to short Johnson Johnson stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's ballsy. Yeah, um, and then. The one that I kind of tend to think is spreading random terror, like a terrorist. Yeah, terrorist. Yeah. And to cover up a specific murder. So they did oh. look in to see if if the people they were looking at or the people who had those, you know, original, those original people in Chicago, if they had anybody potentially tied to them who would want to see them murdered, but they didn't come across anything. And that sort of leads me into copycats. In Washington State, two people, Susan Snow and Bruce Nickel, died from Excedrin capsules laced with cyanide. And later, his wife, Stella Nickel, was convicted of both murders. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then in 1990s. Yeah, in 1991, something similar happened again in the Washington area. Two boxes of Sudafed were laced with cyanide, causing the death of two people, Kathleen Danker and Stanley McCorter. A third person, Jennifer Mailing, went into a temporary coma. It turns out that her husband, Joseph Mailing, is the one that committed this crime. So these oh, copycats... So a lot of spouses trying to yeah a lot of spouses well at least two here but i mean get a divorce get a divorce you don't really need that insurance money that much For they sure. said that there was hundreds of copycats and i wonder how they they really know that hundreds there were others there was a, a woman in yonkers who took extra cedrin strength Tylenol and she died of cyanide poisoning but there wasn't any other killings in that area and then there was a there was a hoax that Procter and Gamble's Ensaprin was poisoned which re, which made them recall the, 
the medicine, but it never really was. So in 1986, there was a fellow named Kenneth Ferris. He was a university student and he died of cyanide poisoning and it was ruled a murder. And then they realized that he worked at a lab and that he had taken cyanide home with him and put it in his own capsules to cover up his own suicide. That's sad. That is sad. That so, is sad. Yeah. So it looks like, you know, a lot of people who are kind of devious took advantage of this. And a couple of people tried to kill their spouses. You know how they prevent that now? Well, attempt to prevent it. I guess you can't really prevent it. How? Uh, so that is where all of our modern safety for pill bottles has come from. Oh, mm-hmm. murder. Yeah. The tamp the so the the um cotton ball down in the pills, the tamper mm-hmm. proof, the child proof lid, the plastic on top, the guy that follows you around the pharmacy, that's all because of, of the Tylenol killings. It's too bad that there's so many safety and precautions that have to happen because of 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 a of diabolical plans. That is sad. It's very diabolical. <laughs> it's so diabolical. All right, guys, that raises a lot of questions. Do you think you can provide some answers for us? Absolutely. Listeners, Pam and I are tarot card readers, so we're going to go ahead and shuffle our cards to see what we can figure out about the Tylenol murders. So just give us a moment while we shuffle to see what we can find out. Listen, so many of my cards right now, I don't think are telling me who did what, but all these cards are are talking about the actual murder and what took place. And I'm just going to kind of describe to you physically what I'm seeing here. That'd be great. The first card, the first card that I got is the Hermit card. So those of you who don't know Tarot, it's um, somebody who's taking time away or like stepping back taking time away from a situation. Somebody's kind of a loner, right? And then the second card that I have is the um, Seven of Swords. And the Seven of Swords literally means that somebody's stealing something. You got a guy here on the card and he's walking away with swords. So I feel like that's just telling us like this person who's kind of a loner went and stole those Tylenol bottles. I'm getting still. I just want to interrupt. I'm getting still in that paid for. So that's a small detail. Yeah, I was like, that's kind of weird. And then the next thing that's coming through here is um, we have the Wheel of Fortune card. So that means that things are spinning or moving around. So I feel like that's very literal in a sense because he was spinning and moving around. So that's just interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next thing that I have in the future position is. Two cards. I got two. They were stuck together. I had to pull them apart. And I got the death card. And I feel like usually in tarot, the death card doesn't mean death. But I feel like in this situation, it does. Because it's sitting with the nine of wands, which is a guy who's standing back and watching as things are unfolding. I always think of that card as the victim card, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, this person's standing back and watching the situation unfold. Another card that I have here, which is interesting, is the Page of Swords. And for those of you that don't know what the Page of Swords is, all pages in tarot represent children. Pages don't all, like, they represent child energy. Let me just put it that way. And the Page of Swords is what we call a spirited child. This is the difficult child to deal with. This is the child that people always say, when they're good, like they're wonderful and great, but when they're they're not good, they're really awful to deal with. So this is an energy asso- associated with this person, that this person's really difficult to deal with, or in, in a sense, acts childish and angry and lashes out when they're not getting their way. So that's, that's interesting that that came out, because I feel like that's just part of the personality. I always get this, when, this card when somebody's really... You know when a kid throws a temper tantrum and like stomps their feet and stuff? Like that's what this card's about. So that's interesting. And then the outcome of this situation that I'm getting for this is like this card, which is the six of pentacles, and it means no major issues. Like it it usually this card talks about money or money exchanging hands and feeling like you're Oh, you have that card too. No major yep. issues, like got away with it. I got away with it. No major problems. That's what this card's telling me. Um, that's what it's speaking to me. What do you have, Pam? Because this is just actually what I have. I have that situation. in the reverse position, which means somebody who feels like they've been taken advantage of, and that's in the past. So I feel like I feel like it's that's retribution. It's interesting you mentioned that because I have this card in the past, which is the Nine of Cups in I the reverse same position, cup. and that means. That people, that somebody feels like other people are taking advantage of your mm-hmm. good nature in a reverse position. Right. So somebody felt very victimized and they were going to let other people know that this is yeah. So And I have that card too. So I have two cards that say somebody felt like they were t- being taken advantage of. And then it shows them causing trouble and wanting to fight. Interesting that you have that because I have um, this card in reverse sitting mm-hmm. on top of the situation in this card um, listeners can't see it but it's the lover's card and it's in a reverse position and when the lover's card is in a reverse position it means fighting or arguing in a relationship yeah you know what the funny thing is is that i have a card that also represents relationship and that made me wonder if it was the couple that you were talking about so i went ahead and asked if it was the couple you were talking about because i have multiple cards that talk about a couple and i'm getting I'm getting yes. I get that too. I always kind of lean towards them because of their background. And and I feel like I got the impression about them that they didn't really do this to get back at the employer. They were doing it to try to get some money. Can you look and see if that that was their motivation to try to get money? I feel like, yeah, I feel like that they want to get money. Yeah. Did they, I think maybe they wanted to get money, but then I think that they realized that it really wasn't going to work that way. Mm-hmm. And so then they were it says they could stick it on that guy's boss. Right. Because I feel like they were very vengeful people. And it says that the woman was very argumentative a lot. So I feel like there was a lot of arguing amongst them and they were both unhealthy people. Did they kill that guy from earlier? In their life, that's why they're on the run. Yes. So that's it, I guess. I get. I'm getting yes. I'm going to tell you also that what I'm getting is that they enjoyed what they did. 
Like, I feel like they did it for a reason, but they also liked feeling like they got over on, on, on folks. Bad people. That sounds like bad people. That's pretty bad people right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Adam, are there any questions we didn't answer about this case? No, you specifically said who you thought did it, so I think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and why? Uh, no. People. Yeah. All right. Cracked it. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites yeah. the dust. Do you have any questions about Ted Kaczynski? Yeah, for another episode. Woohoo! All right. All right, listeners. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. We thank you so much for listening. If you would like to reach out to us, um, ask a question, anything, really, uh, you can get a hold of us at readingtheroompod at gmail.com. That's readingtheroompod at gmail.com. Pam, you got anything to add? You look like you, you've got something you want to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> Visit all of the things. Go to the places. Go to the places. Um, reading room about and our website, live. not dot dev. Never dot dead. Always dot live. Reading yeah. room dot live. And as always, guys. Bye bye. bye. bye.